0: (laughs) Yeah, so 33 men were trapped for 69 days, a half mile below the surface of the earth in a tomb, really. And, you know, I don't know how much they spent to dig that rescue hole, but it was probably exponentially more than those men will make for the rest of their lives. You know? You could have sat back and said, "There's just 30 miners." I mean, these guys were in the bottom of the hole. Uh, would have been easy to say they're not worth it. And somebody thought they were worth it, <clears throat> and we can rejoice. You know, this this event captured the world's attention. When I when I searched YouTube, it, it was funny. There were clips from. Every nation, China had it on their TV stations. Russia had it on their TV stations. We—that was from CNN—and uh, it was everywhere because it caught, captured the attention and the emotions of the whole world. These people trapped down there, and the efforts that were made to to dig them out. <clears throat> and it's good. It's it's really good that they were rescued. I'm really happy. You know, you can see the joy and we can rejoice in that. That's valid. I don't want to diminish that in any way. Uh, but the tomb that they were trapped in for those 69 days is nothing compared to the eternal tomb that awaits all who don't know salvation through a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. The darkness they lived in for those 69 days is no is no comparison. There's no comparison to the darkness that awaits those who will be cast into outer darkness. You know, we rejoice to see these people get free. But uh, I really think this is a prophetic symbol uh, that we need to pay attention to. That uh, we walk by people every day trapped in a darkness... That's far deeper, far darker, far more deadly uh, than what these men were trapped in. And it's great that they were brought up, but they're going to die. You know, so they're given a few more years. Woo! But the darkness that we're the rescuers for, you understand that? The darkness that we are called to rescue people from is a darkness that is Eternal. And we're equipped with the tools to rescue them into a light and a life that's eternal. Alright? So the comparison is so vast, I can't think of words to express. You know? And we rejoice when these men are, are brought back up and they're able to be rejoined with their families. But this is why the angels rejoice so exceeding all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to salvation cuz the joy of that is that exponentially greater you know that they're given eternal life and they're rescued from eternal darkness and so you know i want us to see this as a picture that we as a church need to dig deep to rescue those who are trapped in the darkness all right we need to bring them out one at a time i think it's it was just powerfully hit me that they're brought out one at a time you know and they reached down deep, brought out one at a time. And I truly believe, saints, uh, that <clears throat> the best way to reach and rescue people trapped in darkness is one at a time. Alright? Well, we can reach into the darkness. We can connect. Uh, some of us went up to our Association, our International Association of Churches, to the annual conference. And there was a real emphasis on harvest. And we're called Partners in Harvest. We're talking about bringing the harvest to partners in the harvest, you know, and that all of what God's done, and God's done amazing things. There's just incredible testimonies of of power encounters and healings and miracles and the presence of God um, that we celebrate, and that's good. But it's it's unto something. It's it's unto a harvest where people who are trapped in darkness are brought into light. I'm going to read a few scriptures. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, from the New King James. Um, <laughs> says, 9-12, through 1 Peter 2, talking about this. It says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. It's a real familiar verse, and it's a great verse. It talks about our identity, who we are, who God sees us to be. And these things are true. And it goes on and says, We are all these things that uh, unto, so that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain, From fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles or those who are unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of salvation. So we're familiar with this verse that we're a holy a nation a chosen generation a royal priesthood but sometimes we forget it's in the context of uh, proclaiming the goodness of God to the lost all right that that we are that's our identity unto a declaration or a proclamation or a demonstration of the goodness of God so that they also can be brought out of darkness into light the new living translation puts verse 9 this way, it says, but you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. I love that. You're God's possession. As a result, listen, as a result of being God's possession, as a result of being a holy nation, as a result of being a royal priests, you can show others the goodness of God. That's what it's unto, alright? It's an important aspect. It's just as important as being holy, a holy nation or a chosen generation. You see, it's part of our identity. You can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Each one of us. It doesn't matter how you were saved. Maybe you grew up and it was gradual. Maybe you were, uh, you know, and and you came to an awareness of God. Maybe you lived for years in darkness and sin and and, and debauchery, but God pulled you out of that. Ultimately, we were all just as dark. All right? And God's brought us into the kingdom of light. And that's what we're called to share. And the message, the same passage, 9 through 12, is, is written this way. It's powerful, I find. It says, But you are the ones chosen by God. How many are chosen by God? Yeah. A few of you are not sure. You can take care of that after the service. <laughs> you are chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instrument to do His work and speak out for Him to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives (laughs) so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Listen, we live in a culture that has a prejudice against Christianity. All right. It's just true. You know, we're a minority. Let's start demanding our rights. (laughs) No, let's start living a life that displays God's goodness so that in their prejudices, when they look at our life, they go, wow, these people are actually good people. Does that make sense? That's what this verse is saying. So that your actions will refute their prejudices, not your picketing. Sorry. It's okay to pick it. Uh just don't pick on me. Sorry. Then listen, then they'll be one everybody's going, please stop. <laughs> then they'll be won over to God's side. See that's what we're going for. Right? To win them over. <clears throat> and be there to join in the celebration and not left in the hole. Peter continues this thought in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. First, he says it's part of our identity because it's just as much a part that we're chosen, that we're a holy nation, you know, we're a royal priesthood, that's our identity. So it's part of our identity to proclaim. Not just in worship songs, that's proclaiming the goodness of God amongst ourselves. That's good. It builds us up. But to proclaim it amongst the Gentiles. So it's part of our identity. Say, it's part of my identity. It's, part of my identity. it's, who, I am. it's who I am. Right. Further, in verse uh, 15 of chapter 3, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Let me read it from the New Living. Same thing. He says and said, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Are you ready to explain it? Are you ready? Always. This is a command in Scripture for you. Alright? And for me. <clears throat> Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see that. A good life you live because you belong to Christ. In the message it says, Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention, in adoration before Christ your Master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always uh, with the utmost courtesy. And so Peter lays out two reasons why we need to proclaim the goodness of God. One, is because it's our identity. It's who we are. And two, because it's a commandment. We're commanded to do so. Alright? Jesus Christ, it was His identity too. And if you will turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Let me read another verse here. It says, Leaving Nazareth, He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun, and so this is actual occurrence in the life of Jesus Christ a couple thousand years ago when he lived as a man and walked among us. He went to this particular region. But that was very significant because it was a, it was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy spoken hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It says in verse 14, says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of Heaven is at hand. And so this Old Testament prophecy about the nature and the person of the Messiah was fulfilled when Jesus went to this area in Israel that was populated by non-believers, okay? by people who were not worshiping the true God, and He began to preach. In that, His light was shining exactly it says a great those who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death light has dawned and so it was his identity it wasn't just something he did it was who he was all right it was his nature light shines Light doesn't try to shine. Doesn't wish it should could shine. Or wish it had shone. Light shines. Right? Light shines. Jesus is the light of the world. Where Jesus went, He shined. How did He shine? He preached. And He told them. He communicated to them. And that was the fulfillment of this prophecy from years ago. It was the expression of His identity. Light shines. Jesus said something about you and I. He said, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5.14 You, say I, I am, am the, light the light in the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under the basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Wow! So we're to let our light shine just like Jesus did so that they're brought into a relationship with the Father so that they can glorify the Father because of what Jesus did for us. All Alright? Being Christ-like you know, is not just avoiding sin. That's an important part. Okay? Peter deals with that. Okay, Matthew Della. You know, We need to deal with sin. And so often, uh, so much of our Christian life in, in striving to be Christ-like is overcoming sinful habits. But, but really, God's called us to much more than that. He wants us to shine like lights in the world. All right. He's dealt with the sin. Now shine, declare. Get out and shine. Don't put a blanket over yourself and hide. It's your identity. Furthermore, He commands it as well. All right. So it's our identity in Christ is to be lights of the world. <clears throat> it's a command as well. Mark 16.15, Jesus said to His disciples, go into the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Have you ever preached the Gospel to an animal? I have. ha <sighs> am well, just taking it literal. <laughs> I would just well, see what happened. You know? <laughs> just out of obedience. It says every creature. I, I preach sometimes when I'm riding my bicycle. I go buy a cow. You know, believe in Jesus. <clears throat> Who knows? A cow's in heaven, you know? Mm, Thanks. <clears throat> Matthew twenty eight eighteen. <laughs> Jesus came and spoke to him, saying, All authority, the same commission uh, elaborated on in Matthew he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the great commission. Okay? It's what every, it's it's every Christian's job description. Alright, it's not the job description of just the evangelists. It's not certainly not the job description of paid ministers. Only one percent, okay, one in a hundred uh in North America of Christians are in any form of paid ministry. And that's the way it should be. Because the work of the church is to be done by the church. Alright? You know, now I'm a I'm part of the church, so I need to be evangelizing, so do you. All right. We all need to be sharing because that's your identity. It's who you are. Quit hiding under a basket. Come on, you know. Let it shine. And you're commanded to. So out of obedience, uh, uh, we we obey. You know. It's just he he's Lord. So he tells us to do it. You do it. And you'll find fulfillment in it because you'll find out that's your identity. We don't necessarily preach. Because of the value of the people trapped in the cave. That's good. All right? We don't necessarily preach because we love that person. We, you might detest the person you're talking to. Okay? Doesn't matter. You're not doing it for their sake. Are you? And You're not doing it for your sake. Because if you're going to do it for your sake, you know, go into sales. <laughs> 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 and get a commission. <laughs> Instead of fulfilling it. The... Sorry. Oh, man, that's full of bad jokes. <laughs> it's kind of lighting up. You know, there's one thing that Christians and non-Christians agree on. They both hate evangelism. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I understand that. <clears throat> uh. I'm not really talking about evangelism. I'm talking about being who we are, okay, and you know, obeying our Lord Jesus. And if you accept this idea, if you really embrace the idea that we're preaching, or we, and I, even the word "preach," you know, it's been defamed and, and is almost like a bad, bad word. But it is proclaiming, it's declaring, it's explaining, it's teaching, it's di- leading, it's discipling, it's just communicating. It's just communicating uh, truth to non believers it 's who it 's what we 're called to each and every christian uh, and when we do it out of love for christ and and irregardless of the value of the person we 're communicating it to according to us that they 're of no lesser value than you are all right that helps all right but we do it because we value him, then it frees you it frees you to do it humbly and courteously because regardless of what the person how the person responds, it, it, it doesn't matter, okay? In other words, if I'm doing it for for my sake, then if they reject what I say, they're rejecting me, and I feel bad. But I'm not doing it for my sake. I'm doing it for his sake. So if if, they, if the person I'm talking to rejects what I, I say, it's like, well, it's no big deal. It's not nothing off, off me. You know, these are the consequences that Jesus says you'll have to deal with. But, you know, I still like you, you know, or don't like you. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Are you seeing what I'm saying? The motivation is our relationship with Christ. And so that frees you to communicate without an agenda. Now, it may appear to them that you have an agenda. But your agenda is just to please him, not to convince them. See the difference? And that frees you. It makes you more powerful. It frees you to be humble and gentle and and unafraid. <clears> 1 <throat> uh, Corinthians chapter nine, Paul says this about his commission to preach. He said, "Preaching the good news is not something." First Corinthians nine sixteen. Preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. In other words, I can't be proud about it. Those of the greatest evangelists in his day planted churches all over continents. He says, I can't boast about it. He says, I am compelled by God to do it. You know what compelled means? Forced. I'm forced to do it. I don't have an option. How terrible for me if I did not preach the good news. See, Paul had the right way of thinking. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice. God has given me this sacred trust or stewardship. I don't have a choice. This is what God's delivered to me. It's my call. That's what I do. It was not optional for Paul, and it should not be optional for us. Now, we're not going to preach like Paul. You're not going to preach like Benny Hinn or Billy Graham or fill in the blank at best you will preach like you at best you'll preach like you and the results that you get are what is what god wants from you but if you hide your light under a basket cover it with a blanket you know you, you won't shine 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 <clears throat> You may never talk to more than one person at a time. You may never be on a stage in front of 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people. It doesn't matter. Personally, I believe the best way to communicate the kingdom of God is one-to-one. Because they can see your life. all right. And when you explain in your weakness, like was shared earlier, or in your lack of knowledge... This faith that motivates you, they can relate to that. Others can relate to that because we're not that far from them. Does that make sense? All of us is called the shiner lights. I'm going to take just two minutes to share a couple of practical points that help me when I communicate the gospel. And keep in mind, it's reaching down into the darkest places and grabbing people that probably don't deserve it, but we're going to give it our all, spare no expense. So that they can come into the light. All right. Share what you know. Point number one. Practical tip number one. Uh, Today, today I I wanted to impart a vision of why we need to share. Next week, I'm going to tackle the most common objection, which is, how can an all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful God allow suffering? So I'm going to cover it in 30 minutes. (laughs) Pray for me. But right now, a couple of practical things. Share what you know, not what you don't know. All right? You don't, and and you, all of you know enough to communicate the gospel because you're here. All right? You know enough. And so don't worry about what you don't know. Just share what you know. Talk about what you've experienced, what you've learned, what you've felt. Point number two, ask questions and listen. It's so good. Keep your mouth shut. But ask a question. Ask them what they believe. <clears throat> and listen. And that'll give you authority to speak when it's your turn. You know, sometimes it takes months or years of listening. But do it courteously. Like Peter said <clears throat> you need to wait for opportunities to speak into people's life the gospel. But when you have an opportunity, don't miss it. Take it. Be quick. Be ready to give an answer. Don't try to convince them of anything. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Christians think that evangelism is convincing others of what you believe. That's not your job. Your job is to tell them. To share with them. To shine. Simply to shine. Okay. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. You just say it so you don't have to try to convince them because then it's an argument and nobody likes that. All right. So just share. Just just don't say I'm not going to try to convince anyone. Say it. I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm just going to shine. I try to share what I believe and try to understand what they believe. I tell them, really, this is really powerful. You listen to the Holy Spirit and just share what. You feel Jesus and the Father would say would want to communicate to them, All right? You say, and sometimes the oddest thing will come into your heart, and will, you'll be talking about some question or something like that, and you'll just say, you know, I just have a, I just, I keep seeing this picture in my mind about such and such. It might be something silly, like a kid hiding behind a door. You know, God just wants you know say. You know, and all of a sudden they're crying. I've had unbelievers in coffee shops break down weeping. All right, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) So whenever it happens, I always go, "This is so awkward." (laughs) You know, they're crying. You know, I'm like, "It's okay." Learn how to. But you do need to learn how to communicate the essence of the gospel. You need to know how to find verses in the Bible. You need to know how to explain Christianity, and there's ways to do it. Uh, but the best way, and really the only way to learn how to share the gospel uh, rationally is to actually talk to unbelievers about Jesus. <laughs> but, but i 'll make a mistake. that's great. Listen there's no you can 't lose. All right? they 're already going to hell. Go, you, really, you need to walk into it and say, listen, it's, it's because you're not representing you. Alright? You're representing Him. And you're just, you're not trying to convince somebody. You're just sharing what you've experienced. You have to share. One on one. Don't wait for some big crusade. One on one. Because one on one is the best way to communicate the life of Jesus. You have it in you. Share it with others. Sarah's gonna come share some announcements. Give her a hand.
1: That was great, Cameron. We all need a good kick in the pants on that one. I'd like to um, just thank the guests who came today. We're so glad you came. And if you did, actually, my bulletin does not have a connection card on it, but they usually do. I don't know where this one went, but um, you, you just fill out the connection card that uh, came attached to your bulletin and bring it to the connection counter in the back, because we'd like to bless you with a gift and thank you for coming. And we're happy you were here. How many of you are so excited about the announcements today? <laughs> awesome. That's what I thought. I was just checking. but um, Well, they are. There's two of them. We're very excited to share with you two announcements. One is the Autumn Fest, which you've probably all heard of. Uh, we're having an exciting fall party on October 30th from 3 to 8. And one thing we're asking, just one, one thing. Bring candy to church next Sunday. And we'll collect it, compile it, and put it in little bags and give it to the kids. Isn't that great? So just bring your candy next week. How many of you are going to try really hard to remember to bring candy next week? You'll have to do it for us, Seth, because I'm going to be gone. But you can all remember. All right? And then also, um, we're having uh, an amazing kind of not a fundraiser, but a collection, if you will, um, the play group that is a bunch of moms that get together and um, their kids play together. Um, it's an awesome life group at our church. They are collecting kids' books, little children's books for um, children in the Philippines. And so if you have some kids' books in your house that you can bring, they can be gently used or new, um, bring them to the church. Uh, we'll have a collection spot in the family room through November 7th. Um, and you can just bring them on over. And how many of you are going to remember that? (laughs) Yes. All right. And that's it. Let's take the offering. Ushers, can you come on up? Get ready. All right. If you can join with me, we're going to pray for the offering. All right. Father, we just bless you. We thank you so much for... um, just each person here and uh, the offering that's being collected right now, we just pray a blessing over them and a blessing on this offering. We just pray for multiplication and favor in every area. And right now, Lord, I just pray, Father, that each one of us would um, be free from the fear of man, <laughs> which sometimes causes us to, to hide. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would make us shine and that fear would melt away, and that that your compassion for people would rise up in us, Lord, and that you'd make us calm and peaceful as we share the gospel with people. Lord, I just pray that you'd make us a passionate people who want to share for you, Lord. And we just ask for souls. We ask for the harvest. In Jesus' name, we just ask for it. We just declare a harvest. In Jesus' name, let us be ready to receive them, Lord. Amen. All right. Okay, so um, this morning we're going to do something a little different. How many of you like different? Yeah. Different's good. I'm going to ask Bob Brower. Can you come out up here, Dad? <laughs> this is a little surprise. Um, Seth, come on up. We're just going to take a moment to honor Bob Brower, who happens to be my dad. Um, Can he's you guys give him a hand? yeah. Just give him a hand. <laughs>
0: Gracias.